0: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Aesthetic Surgery Journal Open Forum podcast. These podcasts are freely accessible on Apple Podcasts and through the ASJ Open Forum website internationally, representing the highest standard in aesthetic surgery education. I'm your moderator, Dr. Ryan Austin, a plastic surgeon in private practice in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And today I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Salvatore Picella from San Diego, California. Dr. Pacella authored the 2022 commentary with video supplement on the article Intralesional Tetracycline Injection, Pinch Technique, and Canthopexy for the Treatment of Severe Festoons Preliminary Results. It's so great to have a chance to talk to you uh, here today, Dr. Pacella.
1: Hi, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, it's exciting to chat across the, uh, the continent. I'm all the way across uh, the U.S. in uh, San Diego, and you're in Toronto, a city I know very well. So uh, thanks for having me.
0: Of course, it's a it's a pleasure to have uh, have you here to chat with us tonight on our podcast. And you know, I thought that you were the perfect person to talk to. Not only having authored the the commentary with the uh, video supplement on this article, but just as as a person who uh, does a lot of eyelid uh, rejuvenation and and uh, facial reconstruction. So, I'm interested to know how did you become interested in
1: in blepharoplasty and eyelid rejuvenation in the first place? Uh, that's a great. question. Question, Ryan. Um, So, you know, I trained at the University of Michigan and we had uh, what was called an integrated program where um, during our fourth year we had somewhat elective uh, rotations that we could do um, with various subspecialties. And I had always been interested in eyelid surgery uh, from early on in my residency. And as it turns out, I was scheduled to do a rotation in oculoplastic surgery. However, they got that got yanked at the last minute because I had to cover some other service. So I went went into my my fellowship without the intention, without the uh, the benefit of having a good oculoplastic experience. And one of the um, so part of what I was seeking when I was looking at various fellowships was a lot of experience in in tough eyelids or rejuvenation eyelids or in reconstructive eyelid surgery. And that was found extensively at Pace's Plastic Surgery. So I had the opportunity to train with three masters in the eyelid, uh, Fouad Nahai, who you know, of course, who's a fantastic mentor. (laughs) Um, Dr. Sonny McCord, who is a oculoplastic surgeon, ophthalmology trained, who uh, did quite a bit of eyelid reconstruction. So got to spend a tremendous amount of time with him. And of course, uh, my good Friend and dear mentor, who uh, my late dear mentor, who is now passed, Dr. Mark Codner, who really yeah. of anybody is 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 incredibly inspiring when it comes to eyelid rejuvenation and eyelid uh, fixation. So to just it just sparked my interest from there, and and it's been going ever since.
0: Oh, that's fantastic, and and you know you're an expert, and and that's why I think you're the perfect person to talk to you because. For anybody who hasn't done so, you have to get to ASJ Open Forum and and read this article and and Dr. Pachella's commentary, because he brings up a lot of excellent uh, uh, and interesting points. And I'd be interested to know your thoughts um, after reading the article and 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 reading what you had to say. How important do you think that these pre-operative um, kind of adjuvant treatments are in the management of festoons, which are are, are arguably a, a very one of the more difficult aspects of eyelid surgery, because. The patients in, in this preliminary study underwent surgery eventually after they had the tetracycline injection. So, are these pretreatments really impacting the outcome, or, or do you think it's more dependent on,
1: on just a well performed surgical procedure for the lower lid? I, I think that's a great question, Ryan. Um, and I would say that, you know, of any aspect of lower eyelid rejuvenation, uh, work around the prezygomatic space and the lower lid mailer bags. Is exceptionally challenging, and I I have personally found that any of the non-surgical treatments usually leave patients um, dissatisfied. So, um, you know, it's interesting. There the techniques that the authors use, the tetracycline injections, um, and eventual non-surgical treatments, but. I, I think they they help a little bit, but but to me, the gold standard is absolute surgery. And of any part of the face, I think this makes the most anatomic sense. And and I'd kind of like to expand that a little bit, if I if I may. Um, you know, I think the key really to understanding how to treat this this area is to really understand the anatomy. You know, anatomy are the king and queen of surgery. I mean, you have to understand what's going on um, anatomically and structurally in this portion of the face and, um, in order to effectively treat it. So, so for our viewers out there, I I want you to imagine kind of a, a, a box. Okay. So a four sided box, okay. That goes along the inner portion of the cheek, sort of near the zygoma that, that stretches and tapers down near the tear trough. And so this box, if you think about the front part of the box, the front part of the box is is made up of muscle and skin. So what we call the anterior lamella, obviously. The posterior, the back of the box is made of bone or periosteum. And then we have a lid on the box and a bottom portion of the box. The upper portion of the box, the lid is the orbital malar ligament. And there are various and different names for this. It's been kind of named and renamed in the literature over the last 20, 25 years. Some refer to it as the orbital or obicularis retaining ligament. Others refer to it as the orbital malar ligament. It's essentially that membrane that goes just beyond the front of the orbital rim. So that's the that's the area that you you have to get into there in order to get to the prezygomatic space. The floor of the box is another ligament that's called the zygomatic eucutaneous ligament. The 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 ZMC ligament, if you will. Um, And that ligament is oftentimes a ligament that's ignored when it comes to facial rejuvenation. So the big issue here is without without releasing any of these ligaments, it's exceptionally difficult to try to get any rejuvenation in this region because These ligaments go from the dermis all the way to the bone. So if they're not released, it's going to create a potential space in there. And I think that's where a lot of the injectables have failed in the past. When you have um, injectables such as highly viscous injectables that you put into this area in order to fill in that that depression – um, the depression created by the ligament it oftentimes maintains itself in that box and it causes an unnatural swelling. So I've often seen patients get worse after treatment with these uh, with fillers as opposed to surgery.
0: That's such a critical point too, and and it's so well presented in your video commentary. There's a great visual for anybody um, who's looking to try and uh, turn that into a little bit more of a visual representation what Dr. Pachella just described expertly. Um, and I think that. The question that people would want to know is when you're talking about releasing those are when in the management of festoons or malar bags, are you doing that directly? Are you doing it um, as we've heard uh, some authors or, or plastic surgeons describe, um, kind of with uh, with that injection or trying to release it by passing a cannula through it multiple times? Or are you actually cutting or releasing that directly off the
1: bone? Yeah, so very good question. I um I tend to do these cases um through an open transcutaneous approach. And so if you imagine a standard lower lid blepharoplasty, whether or not you do it in a transconj way, transconjunctival way, or you do it in a transcutaneous way. Most of us, in order to get to the orbit to reposition fat, are releasing the orbital male ligament. Would you would you agree? I mean, yes, it, yeah. it's it's a ligament that is. Um, it's easy to get to, it's accessible, it's right on the front surface of the orbital rim. And in order to get filling of fat into the tear trough, you have to release that ligament. So that that is really the easy ligament to release. And when I release this, um, I'm often doing it in a super periosteal plane. So the difference between placing it in a super periosteal plane, the dissection versus a subperiosteal plane, is really I want to create an area where my fat transfer into this space is going to stick. And I found that when I do it, um, when I do fat transfer in a subperiosteal method or a subperiosteal plane, oftentimes it's kind of all over the place. But when I have a little base of periosteum on top of that bone, I know it's vascularized. I know it's going to be sandwiched in in between two vascular structures. So it just has a higher rate of take in my hands. So, um, So the orbital malar ligament, obviously the easy one to release. The pre or the uh, zygomaticocutaneous ligament much more difficult to release. You really have to go deeper into the mid face. And it really depends on how you approach this issue. So, for example, um, if you have a festoon or malar bag that is sitting very laterally, a lot of these patients have kind of an extension, a Y like extension that goes much towards the zy- zygoma near almost the, the anterior surface of where the parotid would be. And in those cases, You can make a little extension at the lateral canthus in order to get deeper down in there. You obviously have to be careful about um, hitting the the temporal branch of the facial nerve. Um, So I tend to do most of my dissection through the lid and go extensively down into the midface in order to get that. So it's more of a midface lift, if you will, as opposed to an extended blepharoplasty. Another potential option, if I have stubborn uh, festoons or malar bags, and I really want to release the entirety of the zygomatic ligament, I'll oftentimes go inside the mouth. Much like I, mm. you know, in my in my earlier years, I did a lot of facial trauma. So this is a pretty easy access area. I'm sure you you remember this from your trauma mm-hmm. years. Um, you know, you make an incision, you make sure you don't hit Stenson's duct, you can get easy access to the mid face through there. And that's an easy dissection to do in order to release these. So, so essentially what you're doing in those scenarios is you're releasing the roof. And you're releasing the the floor of this box. However, that's only getting one side of the ligament, right? So what you have to do is you have to get those dermal extensions that go from the bone to the skin. So mostly when you do a blepharoplasty or an extended transcutaneous blepharoplasty, you're going to release those dermal attachments to the skin and underlying tissue with just your skin dissection. The problem is that deeper zygomatical cutaneous ligament again, and that's where you're going to see the festoon. So in order to really get that dissection appropriately, you have to take a subcutaneous dissection fairly deep into the midface. And this is this is what can be very challenging, I think, for surgeons to really extend that dissection. It can be a bloody dissection. There can be a lot of edema afterwards, and you know if you're if you're sort of disclosing this to patients, it's a it's a big recovery. So, mid face surgery and festoon surgery should not be taken lightly.
0: And I think that's so important. And and for you know any surgeons, young surgeons, or surgeons who are thinking about. Getting into the lower eyelids, one thing we always think about is is potential lid malposition or or ectropion as a complication, and certainly that would be the case when we're trying to resect more skin and and do more of that mid facial lift. So, for anybody who's thinking of venturing into uh, the management of malar bags or festoons after reading this article and and reading your commentary and and hearing your uh, your thoughts and insights. What tips do you have to try and uh, help to reduce or or potentially prevent the risk of ectropion uh, and lower lid malposition as a complication of uh, of the management of these conditions?
1: So a couple of things, Ryan. I think you um, invariably when you see these patients with bad bags and festoons. Most of them have tarsal ligamentous sling laxity. And a, and a good way to demonstrate this is a simple technique. You just basically place your finger on the mid, mid portion of the lid and pull down. And if you see the corner of the eye, the, the lateral canthus displace itself, that's that's someone that has fairly bad horizontal laxity that you're going to have to do a tightened canthoplasty and cantal fixation. Now, invariably, I've seen a lot of these patients, they're just globally lax, from the lid all the way down to the mid face. And so it's rare for me to just simply do a canthopexy alone or a lid suspension stitch. Many of these patients require horizontal lid shortening or a formal tarsal strip or a formal cantoplasty. So I think the key to that is horizontal lid shortening. The second key is the fixation. Many of these patients have been operated on multiple times. Uh, they've had persistent festoons or malar bags, and you attempt to sort of get a fixation suture or canthopexy suture deeper into the, uh, the, temporal, the temporal bone, and that tissue just falls apart because it's just been over-operated on. So I think in order to really have effective lid fixation, you have to understand how to do a drill hole canthopexy. And so I, um, I have a couple videos on this um, that I've presented multiple times, and it's a fairly easy process to do. Taking a 1.5 millimeter drill bit, drilling two holes, and passing your suture through and tying it through. Even, even the toughest of lids can be treated with a drill hole cantoplasty. So that's, that's issue number two. Issue number three is suspending all of that mid tissue. How are you going to do it? And various options to do this. I know some surgeons that sort of do it through a temporal approach. They, they have mid-face that they use. Um, in my hands, I haven't found that effective necessarily. Many times what I do is um, I'm doing a lower lid procedure in the context of a mi- mini brow lift. So um, oftentimes in men, I'll make a little small incision in the hairline and elevate in the subcutaneous plane in an effort to get some of that lateral brow in a higher position. The reason for that is we're gonna be tightening up the mid face skin. And if you tighten up that midface skin and don't do anything to redrape the the lateral brow area, what's going to happen is you're going to get a fold in that position, and it's going to look very unesthetic. So I like to kind of redrape this in the context of a mini brow lift. And so if I'm taking a deeper suspension suture, say with a PDS suture, I'm going to tie it in through um, that lid incision, that canthol approach or the lateral canthal approach incision, and I will oftentimes pass it up into the brow incision in order to secure it to the temporal fascia. Um, I oftentimes do various additional sutures along the, uh, zygoma rim in a safe position to the periosteum as well. So I think, you know, it's a, it's sort of a pant, pant, uh, and suspenders or belt and suspenders type of fixation. You got fixation at the lid, you got fixation at the midface, you got fixation at the, the temporal, uh, fascia. So the more points of fixation you have, the better longevity.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing those expert insights, Dr. Pacella, and we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast here today. Thanks, Ryan. My pleasure. I really encourage everybody to head over to ASJ Open Forum online to read this article and also to read and view Dr. Pacella's commentary. Make sure that you subscribe to the Aesthetic Surgery Journal Open Forum Podcasts in Apple Podcasts to keep up to date with all of the latest content from ASJ.